We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Welcome to Women Worth Knowing. I'm Cheryl Broderson. I'm in studio with Jasmine Allnut. That's right. <laughs> and right now we're doing kind of a series on um, women hymn writers. Yeah. And we've got kind of... more yes, to go. Absolutely. I mean, Jasmine was just mentioning six, and I was telling her about <laughs> one. I'm like, I've got one for six. This well, we have is a couple not... <laughs> others. We could go into writers. This all kind of bleeds together with authors. And, yeah. It does. But I also have a notorious one. Maybe I could put those two together. Oh, that's what I'll that's do. a good idea. That's right. I like it. Okay. But today I want to talk about Frances Ridley Havergal. Mm. And she was an English woman, an English lass, you should say, Wonderful right? Wonderful gal, yes. yes. Or not gal. And she was born December 14th, 1836 at Ostley, Worcester, England. Whoa. You, you know, Worcester. We, we want to say Worcestershire. Yes. But it's Worcester. You know how they are in English? Worcester, yeah. They, they get rid of take all the half middle the letters out. They get all rid, all rid of the middle. So it's Worcester. She was the sixth child of clergyman William Henry Havergal. Mm-hmm. And he had the parish of Astley, a very large and impressive church. I saw pictures. It's huge. How cool. Wow. And he was married to Jane Head Havergill, who was obviously the mother of Francis. Yes. <laughs> and she was um, their last child, the youngest. She had three sisters and two brothers. Mm-hmm. One of her brothers was a priest and an organist in the Church of England. So her father was a hymn writer, too. And he was a singer in the church, a, what they call it, a canon. A canon, yeah. So yeah. he would sing. He wrote songs for the church. In fact, he wrote quite a few hymns himself. And so she's a little girl. And her family, because she was um, also kind of a surprise child, they had uh, most of her siblings are quite a bit older. Right. And her family nicknamed her Little Quicksilver because she was so fast and adventurous and had golden curls. And she loved just to play outside Cute. and she loved to she loved to discover things. Mm. But get this, at the age of three, she learned to read in English. At the age of four, she learned to read in French. What in the world? And she could That's speak amazing. both English and French. Didn't she speak a lot of other languages yes. as well? Yep. Oh, wow. So <laughs> she had a very happy, happy childhood and loved to go out among um, nature. Her most vivid memory surrounded her father preaching a whole series of lectures on the Queen of Sheba, and she was enthralled. Um, her father loved foreign missions, and he would read the foreign missions reports out loud to her. She loved to hear what was going on in different mission fields and what the Lord was doing. Her greatest ambition in life was to be a missionary, and she called it her castle in the air. Wow. When she was only 12, her beloved mother, who was also her teacher, died. And her mother's dying words to her were, pray to God to prepare you for all he is preparing you for. Mm. Isn't that incredible? That that reminds me kind wow. of a, a Philippians chapter 3, that yes. you might apprehend that for which God has apprehended you. Yes. So after her mother's death, uh, Frances was sent to live with her eldest sister, who was married. And her sister described her as a very active Clever, amusing, a bit troublesome, but always affectionate and grateful child. She loved to read in the hayloft or the garden nooks, and you would most often find her um, in some secret spot reading books. She loved to read. Her father, in the meantime, moved to a rectory at St. Nicholas in Worcester in August of 1850. 
At that time, she went to Belmont Boarding School in London, and there was a lady there named Mrs. Teed, who was very strict, but so full of love for Jesus and for the young girls, that Frances decided to give her heart unabashedly to the Lord, because she could see the reality in Mrs. Teed's life and in her choices. And it was actually the example of Mrs. Teed and the love of Mrs. Teed, you know, not even growing up in that Christian home or the memory of her mother, but this evangelical woman who worked at the secular school, boarding school in London. And that's what convinced her that she wanted to do this. She was only there for six months because she got very sick. And this is going to be her first bout of sickness. Mm. But from this point on, sickness is going to mark her life. And it's going to come unexpectedly. Well, yeah, for somebody who is so vibrant and active. Right. And super active. So it was also about this time um, after she, you know, really gave her life to the Lord, that she began to keep a daily journal. Now, what's interesting about her journal is it's more about devotional thoughts. Hmm. It's more about what the Bible is speaking to her than the activities of that day. Interesting. Yeah. And so during this time, her uh, father remarried, and Francis was sent back to St. Nicholas to live with her father and stepmother. And the rest of her siblings were out of the house by this time. Now, her father developed some type of eye issue and had to go to Germany, but he was able to regain his sight under the care of a famous oculist there in Dusseldorf. Now, Frances was put into a German school, German-speaking school, where she didn't know the language at all. And within six— Oh, sorry. So they all moved there while he was getting treated. The stepmother, the mother— uh, the stepmother, right. the father, and Francis. They all went Nobody to, else, okay, just the three it. of okay. them. But while she was there in school, so she's put into this school. She knows not one word of German. <laughs> Within two months, she was speaking German. She said she was even thinking in German. She just caught on and wow. um, she understood it. And she came out the top of her class of 110 students. Something I forgot to mention, though, she wrote her first um poem or hymn Mm. at seven years old. And that's when she first began just to write poems and poetry. And her mother was like shocked at how brilliant her poems were. It's like finity, Jane. And and maybe that's why she said, you know, prepare for all the Lord is preparing you for. Mm. So she learned piano and she learned the organ. She she could play all this music, which um, was not that common for young girls. She also began... uh, to sing in church. Her father would have her sing. She would sing at festivals uh, because her voice was so beautiful. And she learned to do all these harmonies. She mastered harmony. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'd seen, seen that, that she was such a good singer that later, like Charles Spurgeon even commented on what a great voice she had. So yes. it's kind of fun. Isn't anyway. that fun? <laughs> at 17, she moved back to England with her parents, and she was confirmed at 18 in Worcester Cathedral. And every year she would celebrate the anniversary of her confirmation. Now, um, from 18 to ages 26, she continued to study in English, French, and German, but she taught herself Latin. Okay, her education ended in Germany. So everything after this, she self-taught. So she teaches herself Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, and she was sufficient enough in Greek to read the New Testament. And she read most um, of—she memorized most of the New Testament except for the book of Acts. Oh, she just like Fanny Crosby. Mm -hmm. I love it. And she wrote hymns in both French and German, as well as English, right? Um, Her father at this time was composing—oh, but I forgot. She memorized—she loved to read the Old Testament in Hebrew, in the original Hebrew. She wanted to know the text so well. Hmm. And she memorized the book of Isaiah in 
Hebrew. Beautiful. Wow. Is that incredible? That probably, this explains why her hymns would later be so phenomenal. I know, phenomenal. but I mean, it'd be one thing if you um, Man. memorized, I mean, if you even knew all 66 chapters of of Isaiah in English. Yeah, but in Hebrew? In Hebrew. Wow. And man, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, about the Babylonians getting it that I would like want to leave out yeah, of my memorization. a lot of judgments, a lot yes. of death. <laughs> so her father was composing hymns and Christian tracts. And so Christian tracts were more like little booklets on different subjects. It, it might be um, temperance of like why not to drink or the dangers of drunkenness, mm-hmm. or it might be on a doctrine of the cross. And so she decided that she wanted to start writing these tracts too. So she wrote, My King, Royal Commandments, Royal Bounty, Royal Invitation, Loyal responses kept for the master's uses and starlight through the shadows. These were just a few of the books she wrote. She also wrote and had books on poetry published. She taught Sunday school classes and passed out pamphlets on temperance. She loved to win souls to Jesus. Evangelism was one of her favorite things. She was involved in the Christian Missionary Society. And um, she taught Bible classes at the YWCA. And she did spiritual counseling by correspondence because once her books begin to be published um, and because she sang, a lot of people began to write to her and they would mm. ask uh, questions about their spiritual life or how they could know Jesus better. And she would take the time to write a letter, a response to each person that wrote her. Wow. And her sister, Maria, who was 15 years older, never married, remembers her just sitting at the desk for hours, just writing responses to everybody who wrote her. She did this mm. as well as write hymns and poetry. Mm. So every hymn that she wrote and every poem had a scripture attached and a little uh, biblical or doctrinal lesson to go with it. So it it was never just a poem. It was a poem with a story. It was never just a hymn. It was Mm -hmm. a hymn with the backdrop. I was reading in Proverbs, or I was reading the Gospel of Matthew, or I was meditating on this. I love it. And so at 25, she excelled at swimming, writing, and skating. She was her niece's and nephew's favorite aunt (laughs) and would visit her siblings in order to help them with ministry and household obligations. And no, and I I just love that, that, that ministry heart with her writing and and even just wanting to use it as a ministry. Like we talked about last week with Fanny Crosby, you know, that songs sometimes are going to have more impact than a sermon for Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. It can really have that kind of an influence on someone's life. So She would contribute articles to different periodicals. Wow. But she was um, very critical of the Oxford movement. Huh. Oh, right. And uh, she said that she was concerned about a movement that moved from the simplicity of the gospel and therefore, in her words, removed all the joy and mirth from serving the Lord. Mm. Isn't that so great? And so that was kind of like a a legalistic movement that took place. Church of England, right? Was it an Anglican movement? Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of like um, getting into ritual and rules more than the Word of God. She um, worked with her father to prepare the hymnal for the Anglican Church. She even supplied the music for many of the hymns. Hmm. And she revised the hymnals, hymns of consecration of faith, as well as songs of grace and glory, which uh, were, um, until like uh, 25 years ago, the main hymnals of the Anglican Church. And she was the one, but many of the music and, and like Fanny Crosby, a lot of what she did, she kept anonymous because she just thought, oh, this is over the top. People are going to get tired of my name. (laughs) Yeah, these are humble women. They weren't trying to make a name for themselves. It was for the Lord. That's right. At 26, she moved in with her eldest sister at Stoutfordshire Village. And one of the reasons she did was her stepmother was um, 
difficult and contrary. Mm -hmm. And she would get very jealous of Francis' relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. And it just became like just not a a very um, pleasant atmosphere. However, at age 31, her father um, became very ill and her her stepmother needed her to move back and help her take care of the father. So at 33, she published her first volume of poems and it was called The Ministry of Song. She was interested in all Christian music. She sought it out. She she loved it. But it's so funny because she didn't care, and she she was a little bit critical of Ira Sankey's music. She <laughs> felt like the doctrinal content could be richer. And at the same well, time, she loved, 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 loved Fanny Crosby ah. and even wrote a poem to her. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a long poem, so I can't read it all, but this is, I'll just read the There's first. A good, yeah, read that one, chunk. Sweet, <laughs> blind singer over the sea, tuneful and jubilant, how can it be that the songs of gladness which float so far as if they fell from the evening star are the notes of one who never may see visible music of flower and tree, purple of mountain or glitter of snow, ruby and gold of the sunset glow, and never the light of a loving face? Must not the world be a desolate place? For eyes that are sealed with the seal of years, eyes that are open only for tears, how can she sing in the dark like this? What is her fountain of light and bliss? And then she she ends, Dear blind sister over the sea, an English heart goes forth to thee. Mm-hmm. We are linked by a cable of faith and song, flashing bright sympathy swift along, one in the east and one in the west, singing for him whom our souls love best, singing for Jesus, telling his love all the way to our home above, where the severing sea with its restless tide never shall hinder and never divide. Sister, what will our meeting be when our heart shall sing and our eyes shall see? Love that. Isn't that amazing? I love that. That closing is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So um, when she was 33, now she's supposed to be taking care of her father. Mm. But she became very, very ill with whatever her father's affliction. They don't know if it was typhoid fever or what it was exactly. But um, this affliction just really hit her heart. And she had to step back from teaching Sunday school and working with the Christian Temperance Society and teaching the Bible classes. And this Mm. almost broke her heart. Oh, yeah. But it was her infirmary that allowed her uh, to write more poems. And she loved writing poems. Her father died in 1870. And at this time, Frances' stepmother became ill. Frances stayed and took care of her, even though her stepmother, like I said, could be imperious, exacting, and jealous. She took care and supported her stepmother for eight years until her stepmother died. Wow. And it was during this time in 1874, however, that Frances was again attacked by severe and dangerous illness. She suffered acutely and almost died, and she recovered gradually. Her recovery took her six months. However, during this time, she continued to study her Bible, write poetry, and compose hymns. Was this repercussions of the typhoid? Mm -hmm. Just continuing on and on? mm -hmm. Wow. But she lost her ability to sing, Mm. and that was... Devastating. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1878, her stepmother died, and Frances moved to Swansea to live with her older unmarried sister, Maria. Maria um, was 15 years older, and then after Frances died, it was Maria who took up Frances' correspondence and oh, no who way. actually wrote uh, two um, biographies on her sister. Um, she was doing really well in Swansea. She was getting healthier and healthier, mm-hmm. and she was be being able to go back into the temperate society mm-hmm. and do all these great things. However, she had on one of her um, 
excursions, you know, into Swansea as she was sharing Jesus. She met these men and these young boys that wanted to know more about Jesus. So she made an appointment with them to tell them more. Well, the next day it was cold and rainy and her sister begged her, don't go out. You know, that, you know, she's like, no, I told them I would meet with them. I told them I would tell them about Jesus. These are souls. I I can't, you know, not Not, meet them. So she went out and sure enough, she got sick mm-hmm. and she grew worse and worse. And in this this illness, she was in tremendous pain. She's 42 years old. And when the doctor arrived, he was surprised at how ill she was. Mm-hmm. She described her pain as sharp knives that were piercing, piercing. Mm-hmm. Um, she expressed a cheerful desire to go to heaven. In other illnesses, he always gave me new thoughts for my books, and I could always write a poem. Now nothing at all comes to me. I have peace, but it is himself I want. Later, she said, I have such an intense craving for the music of heaven. Nothing here satisfies me. I have a strong inborn love of harmony. I don't want to be impatient. I know God's time is best. But by this time, she was just longing for heaven. She even told her sister Mm -hmm. Maria, call all the siblings. I'm going to go be with Jesus. This time, I know I'm going to go be with Jesus. So when the doctor told her she was in the throes of death, she said, oh, I thought so. But if (laughs) I am going, it is too good to be true. I shall go just when Jesus likes. And so her siblings all came into the room as her doctor announced that this would be the day that she died. Her response was beautiful, too good to be true. She smiled one last time, asking that all her nieces and nephews be told that not one good thing of all of God's promises fail Hmm. or would ever fail. And she said, tell them to trust Jesus. It's simply trusting Jesus. And then she said, I am lost in amazement. Not one good thing of all his good promises hath failed, but I must not be impatient to be gone. I want all to come to me in heaven. Don't disappoint me, any of you, (laughs) from great to small, trust Jesus. Then she sang, Jesus, I will trust thee. This was not a hymn she wrote. It was another hymn. Right. And then she said, there it is, all over, blessed rest. She folded her hands and looked to heaven. And said, oh, oh, oh. Then she tried to sing, but she couldn't. Wow. And she said, he, as if she was looking at him. Wow. And she died on June 3rd, 1879, at 42 years old. Wow. She's best remembered for take my life and let it be. Yep. Consecrated Lord to thee. Mm. But interestingly enough, it was first a poem. And you know what it was? It was keep my life. And let it be. Mm. And it was from uh, the scripture in Philippians where Paul says he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Mm. Then later, after an experience where she felt the need just that she hadn't given all to Jesus. Oh, do do you know that story? Oh, well, no, I I, I read something else about the story. You go ahead first. Well, anyway, that she decided she changed the lyrics. uh, She changed to put music to it and made it take my life because she wanted to give everything to the Lord. Mm. Um, And it was a time when she decided she didn't like her jewelry. And she decided yes, to give too. all of her jewelry for the missions mm-hmm. because she said, why? why? I don't care about jewelry. And yes. what was so cool about uh, you had mentioned how, you know, she just had such a heart for evangelism. And uh, I, the part of the song was also birthed out of out of that. I guess she was staying with some people 
um, some friends, and there were some believers and some unbelievers. And she really prayed the Lord would give her everyone in that house. Yes, she and did. That, and so that was kind of part of also yeah. coming And there were to 10 people song. in that house. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, by the end, every single one was saved and given their life to Jesus. So Isn't that, awesome. I mean, like wonderful? I mean, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Wow. Good track record for her. Yes. So. <laughs> um, another song that she is remembered um, for is Like a River Glorious. Mm. And that was one of my favorite hymns as a child. And so I really? wanted to read uh, Like a River Glorious, yeah, um, just do. the lyrics. Maybe we'll read Take My Life and Let It Be too, you mm-hmm. know? Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, overall victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding in his promise, perfect peace and rest hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand. Neither foe can follow, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Every joy or trial, this is the one that always gets me, falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the son of love. Mm. We may trust him solely, all for us to do. They who trust him wholly, find him wholly true. Love that. And I, I, um, I do too. I, I just, I'm singing, I'm singing along in my mind because I grew up on some of these hymns as well. Isn't that the, um, the truth? Mm -hmm. Because, um, that was one of my favorites. It was one of my dad's favorites. Mm. And he used to like to talk about how the river, when you're walking with the Lord could get deeper and yet fuller. A, A river that gets deeper usually gets narrower. Hmm. And or a uh, river that gets wider usually gets more shallow. shallow. Interesting. But this is like a river glorious that never loses its increase. It gets it gets wider. It gets deeper, but has you know even greater amounts of water. And that's like God's peace. Hmm. And no matter what trial, and you know she's writing this from pain, from a sick bed, from suffering. She yeah. is writing this out of suffering, saying, "You know what? His peace is still great enough. It's it's still big enough mm-hmm. uh, for everything." Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, you know, I, I had said that she wasn't very. Um, she didn't think that Ira Sankey's uh, hymns oh, yeah. were the same quality as you know a lot of the hymns that mm-hmm. like that Fanny she had written or, yeah. because she was uh, she loved Mendelssohn, uh, oh, she yeah. loved the classics and you know she could sit down at the piano and just play the classics you know from memory, and so but at the end um, she ended up loving Moody and Ira Sankey's ministry so much that she also contributed contributed to um, their their hymnal. Oh, I that, love that. Um, That's and great. Moody's hymnal actually provided for his whole ministry. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that sweet that there's a place for every style? You know what I mean? Because those the Ira Sankey songs were like just gospel tunes that people could that were catchy, you know, kind of a thing. But there's also the place for that depth. And I love that she was, you know, willing to see that there, there, you know, there's a place for all of that, and we need all of that. So that's really sweet. Yeah. The last song she sang was this, Jesus, I will trust thee, trust thee with my soul. Guilty, lost, and helpless, thou canst make me whole. There is none in heaven or on earth like thee. Thou hast died for sinners, therefore, Lord, for me. So I I love that that was, you know, the last song she sang. It it reminds me of my own story. Um, When my father was very sick, he was going into a coma, and we went to visit him on the— 
Wednesday. He died uh, Thursday morning at 3 o'clock the next morning. But this is Wednesday, and this is about 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening. And he's going deeper and deeper into this coma. And so his nurse would come in and say, are you in pain? And he would shake his head, no. And um, she would leave, and you'd go back to kind of sleeping. And then she'd come back in, and she'd say, um, are you hungry? And he'd shake his head, no. And then um, some people would come to visit him, and she said, can I bring them in? And he shook his head, no. I mean, he just wanted family, and he just wanted almost to be left alone. He was, and we were, um, I know that when someone is dying, their skin gets very sensitive. So we were touching like his feet, and we were trying to, you'd be very sensitive about where we held him. And I was holding one of his hands that's, you know, his, my dad's hands were always rough because he was such a hard worker. But I remember as I was um, holding his hands, my cousin, who is also with the Lord now, suggested we sing a song. And so he starts a song, nobody knows it. <laughs> so um, I said to him, I said, Chuck, I don't know that song, but I know my cousin's name was Chuck. I said, I know this song, The Lord Bless Thee. And as I started to sing it, just the first line, The Lord Bless Thee, my dad opened his eyes. Now, you've got to remember, he hasn't spoken for like hours, uh, nothing. He's just shaking his head because the effort is too much. But what he did is he sang as if there was no cancer, nothing wrong, with, with a full voice, the Lord bless thee. Mm. And I think of ha uh, Frances Havergal, who couldn't sing, mm -hmm. who couldn't sing and lost her ability yeah. to sing. This sickness is raging. She's in tremendous pain. But she sings, Jesus, I will trust thee, trust thee with my soul. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Now, did and did you want to read um, "Take My Life and Let It Be"? Since that, I have, Do you that have it, one. Oh, yeah, please, it. please, please, please. I love that. I just think it's sweet that we don't really get time usually to camp out on some of the the works that these that's these right. women that's wrote, right. and yes. it's so nice to be yes. able to share that a little bit. It's, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. At the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my love, my God, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. And boy, did she live that out. <laughs> she really that, that did. total consecration and surrender. I love that. So the two books I used, um, one is Francis Ridley Havergill, A Saint of God, a mm -hmm. new memoir by T.H. Darlow mm -hmm. um, with a selection of extracts from her prose and verse. Um, this one is so, so old. It was, wow. um, I got it at a used bookstore years ago. Nice. And um, I think the last publishing date was like... 1800 and something, you know, it was like, hmm. you know, when you're looking for it and, oh, it's 1927. Oh, that's yeah. So 19, <laughs> 1927, which is actually the year my mother and father were born. Ooh. So anyway, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a great book, like I said, but it's not available. It was um, at a used bookstore, Maybe on a, but yeah, I could probably, I could probably put it in the, um, women's ministry office. Yeah. And we'll stick, yeah, we'll stick some of these obviously on the website as well. Right. And then so. the other one is available. It's called Like a River Glorious. Mm. And it's, but I will warn you, it's 1,172 <laughs> pages. Is that the one by your sister? Um, no, it's got a lot of excerpts by her sister. Okay. So this one's from 2003, so it's totally available. Wow. But what this is, is it's a compilation. So it contains her story, mm. but it also contains um, 
like Maria's insert oh, okay. about uh, Maria. What I wrote, what I read about her death. Her sister Maria. That was her um, from her biography of her mm, sister. Okay. She wrote that. Maria okay. did. Yeah. But um, the rest of it is all her poems. Excellent. Or most of her poems. Like we said, a lot of them were anonymous, so they weren't— What we know of. <laughs> it's her books. All of her books are in here. All of her poems are in here, uh, or most of her poems are in here. Uh, journal entries. Mm. So you can actually see her journal and all these thoughts about the Bible, which she's reading, which so, is amazing. So and again, that. Hebrew and Greek. Yes, yes. And then it's also um, her hymns. Okay. So it's got a lot of her hymns. It doesn't Excellent. have the, the total of her hymns because there were so many, and again— Mm-hmm. Anonymously, okay. So many of them, and it and it doesn't contain the hymnal she worked on either. Right. She did that anonymously too. Oh, geez. Wow. In fact, she took over her father's work because he had gotten so ill mm-hmm. that she took over that. Okay, I'm um, okay. just an amazing Man. musician. Really amazing, and just and and again, and this is something I think we'll continue to see is how much depth comes out of suffering. I mm-hmm. mean, you know. Fanny Crosby, I mean, you could say, I mean, I know she was very victorious in her blindness, but she did have that weakness that she mm-hmm. could not see. And here we have Frances Ridley Havergale, who's an invalid yes. practically. But no I mean, bitterness. But no bitterness. No bitterness. Just, no blaming God. Yeah. No blaming or comparison with others. Like, why didn't they get yeah, this? Why did yeah. I get this? But, you know, there's something in that. When you find your contentment in the Lord hmm. and you find your purposes in the Lord, um, both these women, you know, you talked about Frances last week. I talked. Uh, you talked about Francis Crosby last week. I talked about <laughs> Francis Ridley Havergill this week and just how the Lord used them um, and how their songs and their ministry still keep speaking yes. to us. Yes. Yeah. They're enduring because of the depth of what the Lord did and in and through their lives. And so. that's why Francis Crosby and Francis Ridley Havergill <laughs> are both women worth knowing. Absolutely. And so, again, we're going to post some of these notes on our website, which is... WWK.cccm.com. Yeah, WWK.cccm.com. That's a lot. Yes. CCCM.com. <laughs> it's a lot. But a lot of letters. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully <laughs> you can do it, guys. You can do it. So we're going to come back with more hymn writers uh, next time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. tune in. Yes. Tune. Yes. Ha ha. <laughs> Until then. And we'll see you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.